Chris, just in time. Like all of us, misses the old Kanye. I had a. Oh, go ahead, man. Sorry, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead. I had an interesting discussion with a with a close friend of mine about that because I my my first thought was to has always been the Kardashians have been kind of not assisting in whatever mental health struggles that he's going through, but not helping it either. And um, they made the point that it's like, you can't, you can't put it on Kim or Chris or anybody like that. He's going through what he's going through and he's got to seek the help that he needs. But it was interesting yeah, he- because I, I hate that. I hate that reality show atmosphere. But yeah, man, it's tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was he was drawn to that because he'd been screwed up for a while, I think. So I don't, yeah, I, I wouldn't put it on them necessarily. Either. I put Chris Humphreys on her though. You know, she she Dude, that was crazy. I don't. I still don't understand what happened to that man. Like people were people were were death threatening him, dude. I mean, he was just—he was—he was a mis—he was a misunderstood being. He was like Frankenstein with a, with the worst post game, I think. You know. But, uh, <laughs> let's get into some real talk now. This is the Running with War podcast web show, whatever you want to call it now. We do this live and streaming on YouTube, as well as air it on War on Anchor. Our podcast platform for WeAreRegalRadio.com, more media. And uh, once again, it's on. The runners are here for you. Chris Pennant, Josh, Joshua M. Hicks, and Drew F. Stevens doing it big time as always. Thank you guys for supporting. Thank you guys who've watched our past episodes. And, uh, you know, we're just trying to get Get this thing going on YouTube, just like we have with uh, our podcast. So, uh, thanks to everybody who's uh, who watched the Ricky O'Donnell episode, uh, and uh, you know we're gonna keep giving it to you. Try to give you at least once one session a week here as these bubbles keep going, the WNBA and NBA bubbles, and uh, you know we, we're just gonna hit you off with a quick hour here of talk uh, about both of those bubbles and things that are going on inside them. You know, right now, uh, Oklahoma and uh, the Lakers are going at it on ESPN. So I got that on the screen in front of me while I'm talking to y'all. But you know, I want to I want to just do a quick tip off subject. You know, something a little, you know, a little lighter. You know, uh, a little more frivolous than the other stuff we may go on go into, but still doing, still having to do, of course, with what's going on in the bubble and. Um, one, one thing I was thinking about, you know, with the whole – I wanted to ask this in past shows, you know, because it's, it's been an issue with regarding the jerseys and the names on the jerseys the, the or the terms and the, and the jerseys that they're allowing the players to have. You know, and there was a, a specific number of, of terms that were being allowed and, uh, you know, they didn't necessarily reflect the – the range of messaging that the players wanted 
But I guess for most of them, I guess it was fine because they went ahead with with these messages and, you know, you see them all on the jerseys now. But an interesting thing that's happened like in the past week is that they let the jerseys, they let you have the, the messages, but they also have the names on all the jerseys now. So it's like, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter and, uh, you know, uh, you know, like oh, like uh, Carmelo who we're about to go into. I think Carmelo has like peace and Anthony is, is under his number. Anthony is under his number and peace is over it. So, you know, you have these combinations now. And uh, one, like some of the combinations work as phrases, which is which is kind of funny and interesting. Like uh, online, I saw like one that's got that picked out is like when you have vote and it, it's it kind of seems like a an election slogan. Like uh, like oh, Mil- yeah, Paul Millsap has vote Millsap on his jersey. So I wanted to say, I wanted to think of like what would be a good phrase name combination for all of us. And you know, I was thinking for me, since my name is Means, I was thinking of some variation of by any means necessary. So, but like like if I did by any, it with means that wouldn't really work well because it's like well by any means I guess works as a phrase but you know you kind of have the necessary you have to lop off the necessary so I was like it no do I just have any means (laughs) or do I do uh necessary means I don't you know I I don't know but do do you guys think can you think of any phrases that you think will work with your name that like a combination of, of a righteous phrase with your name on a jersey. Believe in Stevens. How about that? Believe in at the top, <laughs> at the bottom, Stevens. Can't go wrong there, man. That's more, yeah. That's more of a personal mantra for you, I guess. It doesn't say much about the rest of black folks, but you know, it it, it works. That works though. That it, at least at least it's co- coherent. At least it's coherent. Chris, Josh, y'all, can y'all think anything right quick? Yeah, Hicks is kind of hard. Yeah, I mean, mine is, I, I don't think I can really come up with maybe like Black Lives Matter Hicks. Like Hicks, Black Lives Matter. Like, like it's like someone <laughs> trying to put the emphasis on the Black Lives Matter or maybe Peace Hicks, like a piece of Hicks. I don't know. It's, it's, it's my, my last name is kind of difficult to work with. That sounds kind of dirty, a piece of Hicks. <laughs> Josh gonna be on on uh Instagram dressed like a candy bar for Halloween. <laughs> Break me off a piece of that Hicks bar. There, there it is. Well, I got nothing, man. Answers, can I just? Has anybody else been a little underwhelmed by the messages on the back? Like having it go from, you know, to talk about what it's going to be to actually seeing it. It's almost kind of had the same effect as uh, the NFL saying they're going to play um, the Black National Anthem. You know, let their voice yeah. and sing. Like it kind of has that effect. Like it's now it's kind of just too much now. Like I don't know. It's it's getting to a sort of satirical end to me, you know. It's like you know, 
don't know. They, they, I, I, I like I like most of the messaging. I like Black Lives Matter on the court. You know, I you know even with you know a lot of the guys they they they're trying to uh, you know do do things in interviews and stuff. They kind of hijack interviews with messaging and stuff like that too. And you know that's cool. That's you know you want to do that with your time. Do that. Go ahead. But uh, yeah, I mean the jerseys. The jerseys is like you know. Like Jerry Seinfeld says, laundry. You know these jerseys are laundry. So, you know, you know, if you want to put that stuff on it, it's better than having uh, you know, random logos and stuff on it. I guess. But I, I understand what you said too, Drew. It's like you know, what is it really doing? You know, and, and if you can't let the the individual guys have their own messaging, then you know, what are you really doing? You know, you got education reform on a jersey. Like, what the hell does that mean? for coming from the NBA. Like, you know, half of these dudes only went to school for one year. Like, you know, what you talking about? You know, I don't know. Oh, that's cold, man. <laughs> I'm not saying, though. It's like, you know, I mean, just, you know, I, I don't know. But, it, but you know, I think Chris, you, it's how I, you can't think of a, of a specific one for you, huh? It's hard. The only thing I could, y'all remember that book, The People Could Fly? Y'all remember that book? Y'all have that when you were kids? The People Could Fly? Um, the People Could Fly. It was a book of like African uh, folk tales. And um, it was a lot of cool stuff. It, it was it was, it was was a really good book. Mm. Uh, but that's like the only thing I could think of. And that would probably be too long for a shirt even. You know, that would probably be too much to put on a jersey. Since pennants are flags. And I, I was like, that's the best I could come up with. But. I mean, I've always thought more people should read that book, so that's about as as good as I could get. That's really it. You could you could put the whole first chapter on your back, you know, just say <laughs> <laughs> read more on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> read that would that would just put that on there. Read that would be my that's my weekend. Uh, the slow kid. <laughs> yeah. Read, brother. Read. <laughs> put that on your bed. I would I like to see that on the jersey, yeah. But you know, it's it's like the NBA, and I think we're gonna go into this in a little bit with when we talk about the WNBA and what they've been doing with the uh, with the dream owner. Like the WNBA is much they can they do much more effective messaging with less effort. You know, I I, I really do believe that, and you know, the NBA I think is is more pressed when they do what they do especially compared to the WNBA players. But we we don't get into that in the next half hour. But uh, let's start off with the NBA stuff. You know, competition heating up in the bubble. You know, we're seeing some interesting things throughout the first week. And, um, you know, before we get into the main points that I want to talk about, which is two players who have really emerged in the first week, uh, Carmelo Anthony and TJ Warren, you know, anything from you guys that has jumped out or that's been really interesting to you, be it on an individual level or team level, from these uh, this about first week of games? I've been – oh, you got it, Drew. You got it. I know about y'all, but other than T.J. Warren being picked 14th and was it the 14 draft, 2014 draft, all I knew mm. before was getting into it with Jimmy Butler recently. And now he is mm. playing like – out of his mind. Um, I don't know if that has something to do with it. 
I know they got a matchup coming up on uh, Monday that I'm very much looking forward to. I'm hoping I can catch it. But this dude is just like playing like Jordan. Uh, this field goal percentage, the way he's scoring and getting buckets from everywhere on the floor. I don't know, man. It's it's <laughs> it's crazy to watch. It's crazy to see. Wow. Our man uh, Ricky O'Donnell meant, wrote a piece for SB Nation called him the Jordan of the Bubble. So, uh, you know, maybe, maybe yeah, maybe you, you all got to that, Drew. But, uh, Chris, what, what you want to say? I was going to say the Suns. Um, I haven't been watching a whole lot, even though the games are on in the afternoons, because I've, I've been, um, you know, I've been focused on what we're going to get to a little bit later, but... Looking at the standings, I told y'all I did not think Portland could catch Memphis, and here they are one and a half games back with five games to go. So I might have been wrong, and that would be, you know, it's fun, like I said, to watch uh, John Morant. Unfortunately, they just lost Jaron Jackson for some amount of time. But as fun as it would be to watch John um, go against the now locked-in one-seed Lakers, Portland's my squad, man. Flame Lillard, McCollum. Lehigh, CJ, you know, Nurkic and, and Collins and them back. I would love to see them make the playoffs, even if it's for, a, you know, a quick cameo in the first round. And even if, you know, you, you'd rather be a, a four seed and have a shot than a lower half seed and, and be expecting a first or second round exit. But in this weird year, man, just let the Blazers get to the playoffs and I'm cool with it. So, so shout out to Portland. I didn't think they could do it, but they got a shot. Yeah, and I think you know we can talk about this a little more with with Melo, but I think it, it they're they're probably not going to get officially in the eighth spot, but they they should be in the playing game. And the way they're playing against the way that Memphis is playing, I'd have to pick Portland in in any you know playing situation right now. So they yeah, they're looking real dangerous, and, and you know I think Melo was a big part of that, but they got a lot more Gary Trent, like you said. And, you know they they just they're healthy they're a healthier team a healthier more functioning team right now than they were when the season was actually going so yeah I mean it's hard not to like them right now uh, Josh you, you got anything yeah for me what it what really surprised me was the emergence of Devin Booker in this bubble as well as the emergence of Denver um, just because Denver between Bull Bull and Michael Porter Jr., who just came out of the Woodworths and dropped 37 the other day, mm. um, those th- those players are really taking their teams to the next level. Um, Devin Booker, I think, has always been slept on just because he's on the Suns, and the Suns have not had the record, the winning success that they sh- that you know many people thought would be at least better than what it is now with his presence there. But Devin Booker has really helped carry this team this young Phoenix Suns team and that duo with him and DeAndre Aiden is really starting to starting to build a little bit within this bubble uh, I think recently they just beat the Clippers with on uh, Devin Booker's uh, buzzer beater so they're starting to make a little noise in the in the bubble and from, from a Phoenix Suns perspective and that even though they may not be obviously playoff bound this year um, they have a good solid foundation with DeAndre Aiden and Devin Booker with the emergence of their first round draft pick in Mikel Bridges, uh, Cam Johnson, and and, and um, you know, but Ricky Rubio's a point guard. They really have something go- going there, and it, and it shows, especially within the last couple of games within this bubble. So that's from the Phoenix side, but from the Denver side, 
I know we talked about before about how dangerous they can be because of the fact that they have Bobo coming back healthy and they may have something going. They may be up to something with Joker playing backup point guard, per se, and having Bobo as your center. But Denver also didn't have the full emergence of Michael Porter Jr. earlier during the season. And now he's coming into the bubble fully healthy. And with his recent performance, it gives even that much more hope to what Denver really has to offer when it comes to playing against teams down the stretch. And you talk about the versatility that they have. Michael Porter Jr. brings a whole other demographic um, to that wing position, along with a movable, versatile big man in bowl bowl and and a healthy Jokic that's actually fit in, in game shape, man, that's that, that's really something to look at when it comes to Denver and their potential success here in the postseason. Yeah, that's a that's a this a dangerous team, and they're they're deep. They got a lot of length, and you know they they got a lot of guys who play the game the way that you want to play it now. You know, multiple positions. You know, uh, athletic can can play in the post, but also go out to the to the uh, to to the three point line and, and close out on people well and stuff and and on offense they got they got guys who can shoot they got guys that got guys who are willing to pass even big men who are willing to pass and you know it's yeah definitely gotta like Denver but going back to the Suns which it's an it's an ironic thing with the Suns because you know they did in like you said Drew in the fourteen draft they drafted Warren and Warren came into the league as a bucket getter. And he's showing himself again as a bucket getter in this in this bubble game, but uh, and you know Ricky wrote this well in his piece. You know he he was a guy who wasn't shooting well from beyond the three point range in the NBA, but that's changed in in these games at least these bubble games. And there's one post that I I come across on uh, NBC uh, Bay Area who covers the Warriors. And they they actually came across a comparison with him and uh, Durant and Steph, and like like these are the only three players who ever in three games in the three point era have ever scored one hundred fifteen points with a seventy five plus effective field goal percentage over a three game span. Durant did that, and uh, he did that way as a still a, a thunder in 13-14. Curry did that in 15-16. I think that was the first of his MVP seasons and Warren has done that this year. So you, you look at a you look at a transformation like that with a we you know with a player who has extended his game. He's he's a more of a dangerous threat from deep now. And you know if you if you put that on the Suns, you know how much more dangerous would that make them? If he was actually a guy who they could spot up and had and extend defenses while you know Booker is doing his thing off the dribble and stuff like that, and and Aiton is dominating in the post, you know that would be that would be pretty interesting. But the Suns still are pretty a well developing team that's gonna, like you say, Josh, probably next year really be a playoff team in the West. But uh, Drew, you know, getting back to. Warren, you know, what is what has it been about his game specifically that's impressed you in these in these person in this little stretch that he's had? What like, what's been about what's about Warren's game has really impressed you in these uh in this stretch that he's had, this hot stretch. 
Man, my mic going crazy right now, man. He has some crazy crunching sounds, man. Well, Chris, maybe you can pick that up um, while you get you. the biggest thing that stood out. <laughs> yeah, what uh, you get? What about his game is that stood out to you? TJ Warren. Yeah. Just, I mean, you you may mention to it um, about him coming into the league as a bucket getter. I think just that, just seeing his repertoire, man, um, the catch and shoot, catching off the dribble, and like I said before, uh, the way he's attacking if you're looking at his shot charts it's, it's, it's crazy man like this dude is shooting like above 60 percent from the field um i think 60 percent from the three too behind the arc he's just, he's yeah let nuts, me look, at, let me look um, at that uh i don't i don't how, how... rick yeah, ricky got it uh 65 percent from the field 60 61 percent essentially from three So he's sixty at any any at any point of time. He's sixty percent from three is crazy. Yeah, this dude's nuts, man. How much of that do yeah. y'all think is is due to the lights being a little a little less bright? You don't have like live fans there. Um, it's a different part of the the year than normally would be playing. It's summer league here, um, but with all the regular superstars and stars. Do y'all give any um, credence to that? Um, giving fuel to some of these performances with some of these second tier, third tier, fourth tier players like Gary Trent Jr. and like you, like you mentioned, John, mm-hmm. uh, Michael Porter Jr. It seemed to be possible. Chris, I, let, I'll let you jump in, but it seemed, it, it may be part of it. Because, like you say, it's not just. I wouldn't say it's necessarily the skill level of the players, but it's some of these younger players. Like Bo, Bo, Bo played. That was really like his first game. That these are like his first games, really. And uh, you know, you, like you say, Michael Porter hasn't had much experience in the NBA yet. He's three, he really started going in uh, like the early part of the year before the you know before the game shut down. And you know, you look at Warren, the guy who he's he's been in the league a couple of years, but he hasn't been called on to do much. He's being called on to do more at this point with uh, Oladipo and, and Sabonis not being available for Indiana. So, yeah, maybe more of a laid back atmosphere in the bubble, maybe you know, could contribute to that. Would you would you say that, Chris? Just from what I'm looking at with Ricky's article, um, he's uh, he's saying how uh, Indiana's having to go with a, smor- a smaller lineup without DeMontis Sabonis in. And that's going to open things up because with Oladipo, back defenses have to focus on him and they have to focus on Miles Turner a bit. So I think that helps him, his size, depending on how teams guard that lineup. He might have an advantage but with, you know, just being 6'8", 220, he's like Pippen size with a little more bulk, kind of Jimmy, that, that really prototypical swingman size now is about 6'7", six, 6'9", six, in the 220s, maybe 230. And you get guys like that who don't have necessarily the same shooting touch that TJ Warren has, but they can hit mid-range shots, they can post up, and a lot of times they, they have a good three-point shot in, this, in today's NBA. So I think that kind of lineup is going to give is going to contribute more for him. I don't think 
uh, from what I've seen, I don't know if the WN, I'm sorry, the NBA has had as many opt-outs as other leagues, like we're seeing with MLB, WNBA, or even um, the NFL, as a lot of their players are, are, ta- are deciding to uh, take this season out for personal reasons. So I don't know if it's that he's going against uh, necessarily weaker players than he would be seeing in a normal season. I think he's just been in, in good conditioning. I think some of what Drew's saying is is the case as well. Some guys just perform better in, in different situations. But I think by necessity, Indiana's had to use him more in a similar way that uh, Bogan Bogdanovich carried them for stretches uh, near the end of the season last year. And he's just gotten the chance to shine that he's doing it. Simple as that. Josh, you think that Warren could be a piece that could – you know, he's been a useful piece for him, but he hasn't been a like he hasn't been the same as Sabonis or or Dola Depot and stuff. But you know, however they however they get their team together in time of the playoffs, do you think that they could be more of a threat now, especially when you look at Philly sort of being a little more dysfunctional now and not really picking themselves up and Boston has been sort of lackluster starting off with these bubble games. You know, where do you think that Indy may fit in the in the East structure right now? I think Indiana has a great chance to um, take advantage of this opportunity to actually move up. You obviously, like you mentioned, with the Sixers struggling right now. And T.J. Warren, when as Chris was describing T.J. Warren and his ideal fit within the league now, uh, someone that we know in here that used to play for the Bulls that kind of went through that similar route was Jimmy Butler. Uh, when he came into the league, he was more of a defensive player within t- Thibodeau's systems, and he eventually built up his offensive repertoire to a point where he became that go-to guy for us, especially during times when Derrick Rose was out. So I think this was just all a matter of opportunity. Jimmy Butler took advantage of opportunities that he could, and, and it really made him excel to this all-star that he is now. Um, the same thing with T.J. Warren with the Indiana Pacers. He wasn't known or asked to be called upon to be the prolific scorer that he's showing us here in the bubble, especially when Victor Oladipo was there and Bogdanovich was there taking on that mantle. So I think it's just a matter of opportunity in this case. And what he's taking full advantage of it to a point where we the league is now seeing what T.J. Warren really can be within the league. And it's to this, to this point, it's actually benefiting the Pacers to a point where now they could potentially increase their – advantages as far as getting a better seating um, as what maybe get potentially a top four seed within the East. Yeah. And that, you know, <laughs> the whole court advantage doesn't really mean anything in these games, but I guess maybe for confidence wise, you know, you put them in the four spot against, as opposed to Philly and who maybe backslide and maybe they play Philly four or five, you know, I, I wouldn't mind seeing, uh, you know, Indiana in that series, they probably could get out to that, uh, get out of that first round. And you know, with the Bucks, you know, I don't know, I don't know how much we're gonna go into the Bucks right now, but you know, they may. I, I don't. I'm not saying it right now, but they may. By the time we get to the playoffs, they may be a weaker number one than they were coming into the bubble. So. You know, you never know. It's, it could be interesting how that plays out in the East. But you know, let's go back. Let's go over to the West now and Carmelo and um, and and Portland. And you know, that's been that's sort of been the big story when you look at the the news cycle 
over the past 24 hours because, you know, uh, you know, Melo had the big game last night Houston, against Houston. You know, Portland really just it was a it was a nice back and forth game, but Portland really took control of that game late, and Carmelo's scoring was a big part of that. And you know, everybody's talking about now. Do should we say do we owe Carmelo an apology and all that? But you know, I wasn't someone who was ever against Carmelo in the first place, so I don't owe him an apology. I think he should have <laughs> been playing, and a lot of people who who thought he was through kind of do owe him an apology, in my opinion you know, just for sleeping on him for the first point and for denying a person of that talent, you know, his ability to play in the game. That said, he was tripping in some ways where he was for that little portion of time, like when he transferred over to Oklahoma and he was like, I don't want to, I don't want to come off the bench. You know, he was, he was a little slow in realizing his place, I think at, at this point in his career, but he still was very much, and and also you could look at physically, I think he came into this bubble focused in a way that we haven't seen him in quite a while. But, you know, he's always had that in him. And I think people who didn't think he, that he had it in him at all anymore, I think really need they they're really kind of looking stupid now at this point, because you know, he's showing himself to be the guy that we've always known him to be as an all-star. And a, and a score, an elite score, and it's meaning something to this Portland team. This they're really firing on a lot of, on, you know, if not all of their ca- their cannons, a lot of them right now, and they're looking like a, a, a potential threat in the West. So, you know, guys, you know, if you just want to go into that either, you know, what your thoughts on Melo or your thoughts on Portland as a whole, or you want to combine them, you know, just go ahead on that one. Yeah, I mean, Portland is unique because of the because of their offensive skill set. We already know that Portland has Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, which is arguably the top three back best backcourts in the league. But in order for Portland to get over the hump in past years, we always said they needed that extra third guy that could go get them a bucket anytime on any given uh play. And Melo fit the bill. I think what happened with Carmelo, and you mentioned uh, Kyle briefly about his, his tenure in Oklahoma City, I think that was a wake-up call for him. I think because he was – because we, we know Melo as being a top guy on every team he's played for, even in Denver and even in New York. He's always been the top number one option. And no matter the offensive style, no matter who the coach was, for about a good 13, 14 years in the league. So for him to still be at a high level – uh, considering the fact that he's still dropping almost 20 a game as a third wing, um, third third guy or third option offensively on the team, um, his talent was never the question. I think it's, the question was the fact that is, is he able to adapt roles in a way that benefits the team? And I don't think he fully understand that because of his previous history of what he's accustomed to and what he's known for. So for him to finally go through that that humbling experience of where now he is in Portland, I think that kind of changed his changed it changed him in a way to where now he's becoming more of an unavailable asset to the Portland Trailblazers going down the stretch. I mean, during All Star Weekend, when I asked CJ McCollum about Carmelo, he told me Melo is one of the best things that happened with the Trailblazers because of his leadership and because he's the ultimate locker room guy that the team needed, especially when during the times when Damian Lillard was off the floor due to his injuries. 
So I think this was a perfect marriage in a sense that just took forever to get to because Melo wasn't always the guy that they, that each that these teams were really looking for when it comes to Melo coming off the bench and just being that quick scorer that we know that he can be. So I think it was just a – it was the Portland was a blessing in disguise, and he's really shown that my talent was never the problem. It was always – it was other factors that contributed to why he wasn't in the league in certain components of the years that – we, that we've known that he should have been. So I just think this is a blessing in disguise for Portland. It's really paying off, really paying off in the bubble. And you say, you know, a blessing in disguise and a you know, perfect marriage, but it wasn't what it was. It was something where he fell into their laps, literally, because, you know, so many of these other contending teams passed on him, including the Lakers, who I think he should, I think that's the team he should have been on. And now they're dealing with Jr. and you know and uh, waiters who aren't going to aren't you know doing and and they're struggling right now scoring on on Oklahoma City. You know, looking at them right now playing, it's like if I was the Lakers, I would feel mostly salty about that that situation and maybe regret it a little bit that we didn't we didn't try you know Carmelo, but you know. When you look at the the league as a whole and the way that the league is covered, and a lot of these, a lot of these people, you know, I ain't gonna get into the whole analytics versus anti-analytics stuff, but I think a lot of the and more analytical people in the league was sort of got to the this anti-Carmelo thing, and it had a, it wound up being a storyline that got out of control to the point where he had to he had to clear his feel he had to clear his name on live on a live interview with Stephen A and stuff. And it got it got real dramatic for a while when it was just about look, can the guy ball or not? Can he contribute to a team or not? There were there was half the league that he could have contributed to even when he was at his worst. But you know, you had a team like the Bulls who had him on for a day and just let him go because of you know their well undeserved arrogance that they have, that they couldn't do something with them, and you know it's like it, it just really baffles me how it even got to this point. But like you say, Josh, in the end, he winds up going on a team that did need him, and it's it's starting to work in a way that it could wind up being a real feel good story for this bubble. But Chris, you want to go in? Yeah, the analytics crowd got Carmelo because it, the whole thing was that he was jab step, ISO, you know, everything that basketball is going away from. I just, uh, I was reading, a, I was just checking something about how the Blazers, no, the, um, no, the, uh, the, how the, the Nets beat the, the Bucks, and both teams shot 50 plus threes, and Daryl Morey tweeted about it after the game. Listen. <laughs> You don't need to shoot 100 threes to win a uh, to win a basketball game. I I checked the stats just now and the Blazers, who again are 7 games below 500 and still trying to find some semblance of coherence, beat the Rockets by 8. And Yusuf Nurkic Yusuf Nurkic got off. He had 18 and 19 because the Rockets didn't play anybody taller than 6-8 or 6-9, I think. I think Jeff Green was the tallest player that they put in the rotation. 
That's a yeah, whole other six, story. That's a whole other story. I apologize for diverge for, for um going off on a tangent. I'm not the I'm not the greatest Carmelo fan. Like like I know a lot of people are. My guy Corbin Adams from high school. He's he thought that Melo was better than Braun coming out of the draft. And you know, that's a whole other thing. But hey, you know, if you're a fan, you're a fan. But well, that, and that first that first year, that first year plus, he was doing better than him. He was in a better situation. Yeah, that was certainly. the thing. He, he was, was doing he was Denver. He was doing kind of better than LeBron. But it was never yeah. a question of whether Carmelo could could play ball. I think, and not to not to refute your point completely, I think the idea was: would he be willing to give up his number one role? Would he be willing to play on the other end? Would he be willing to extend his range? You know, is he willing to basically take on a reduced role on a team? And I think that was the question. Now that might have, I think that if there was any, if that rumor was put out and you know how coaches and GMs talk um, in a kind of colluding way when they're trying to either you know, like lower some value to get somebody on the cheap or do other things like sure. that to basically make a deal for themselves. But I, I think it was less about whether he could play than whether he could play um, in that role. Now, if it's a question of whether he could play in this style, I think this this style isn't that great. I'll come out and say it. I don't think I don't want to see cats jack up threes all day long and, and score 150 points in regulation. You know, that's cool when it's the Nuggets back in the day. Shout out Alex English, but every team shouldn't doesn't need to be doing that. But it's cool that the that the Blazers picked up Melo and it's cool that he's fitting in and it's cool that a lot of the the uh, the BS that was was put on him is off now. You know, he was always a good basketball player and if anybody had picked him up before, I think if the situation was right, like on a team like the Lakers, if well, not, not back then, but now, they would have people would have seen, yeah, Carmelo can fit into this atmosphere. He doesn't have to be the number one guy. It's it's getting to that point. I think I had an argument with Bamondi Jones about this way back, um, just on Twitter, and I he was saying like, no, he didn't. Surprisingly enough, he didn't block me. Um, he, he he ended the conversation really really snippily, but he didn't block me. But I was saying like, could Carmelo accept a reduced role? And I erroneously compared it to Oscar Robertson in um, Milwaukee, his first season. And I say erroneously because Kareem was a rookie, so he wasn't about to come in there and be like, "Yo, oh, your time is past." You know, like he was like, "Hey, I know who this dude is and what he's done." But it had to be a similar a situation like that where Carmelo had to understand he wasn't the guy. And he's done that. He's not, from what I can see, he's not demanding extra playing time. He's fitting in. Yeah. And at this point in his career, he needs to be able to fit in. And then when the time comes, the guys know you. They know your pedigree. If they need to give you the ball. If we're down six, we know you can get it done. Yeah. I've, and I've heard, you know, some of the talk uh, today, looking at the shows and stuff, they – you know, they talk about how I think Wilbon made this on PTI. Like he's a respected guy in the league, and you know, when you look at the players, all the players who have come under, come up under him. You know, definitely Damian Lillard fits that that you know that that role. But Lillard is also an MVP candidate, dude. He's he's a guy who at this point is certainly above Melo in regards to impact on the game. And I think Melo can uh, – he can observe that easily. 
And we look at him and you look at a, a McCollum, who was also a very dangerous player, you know, and, you know, they're big guys. They got they got pieces that I think he can respect. And he, and he knows that, look, I can't I – have, I have to play a certain way. I can't, you know – I don't have to. I don't have to carry this team, and you know, if I do these certain things, you know, in in respect to their games, then we will play effectively. And he's seen that. I think he's seen that enough in the time before the 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 break uh, for the game halted in March, and he's definitely has to be seeing it now in the bubble, where it's like, okay, we have a good chance to make the playoffs here. We're winning. You know, let me keep doing what I'm doing, and you know, when when the when the time comes, when it's late in the game, I'm confident enough to where I can put up a challenging shot like he did against Houston yesterday, and I know my guys have my back in taking that shot. So you know, he's gonna put it up with no problem, and 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 you know, a lot of the, most times than not, he's gonna make those shots because he has a history of doing so. So. That's it's, you, it's, it's, it's a whole thing that's working out well. Go ahead. When it's the end of the game, you need a bucket. You need a bucket in the mid-range. And the, and the Rockets can say whatever they want about offensive efficiency. But the reason that they have James Harden is because he can get a bucket or get to the foul line, not necessarily that he can shoot 60,000 threes per season. Sure. So having Carmelo Anthony, a taller player who can back down to his spot, a la Paul Pierce all those those years ago, that's what the Rockets really need. When Lillard can't necessarily get them that shot, when even CJ can't necessarily get them that shot, Carmelo Anthony is going to be the guy who gets who ends up with the ball in his hands to take that shot when they need it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's we'll see how it keeps going. Like like I said earlier, I, I'm liking Portland. I'm not liking. I think uh, Memphis lost again today. You know, Memphis got to they got to straighten up because. Even I don't think even if they don't give up that eighth spot, if they have to play a Portland team as they're playing now in that eight nine game playing game, that I'm liking Portland and it, especially in a one game situation, I'm liking Portland in that. So, you know, let's go over to uh, WNBA right quick. Uh, you know, before uh, we wrap up, and um, we we will talk we can talk a little bit about what's going on in, in the league overall. You know the sky have been really, really doing it again, man. They they they're still doing it about four and one now. Uh, and I are they are they are they on the are they atop the lead by themselves? Or are they tied with someone, Chris? I think it's a tie. Let me check. Uh, I'm pretty sure that somebody's up there with them because it's 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 wild how many games that they're playing. Like the sky yeah, had their like every other day break, dude. And Sabrina Ionescu is already injured. New York might yeah. keep her out the rest of the season. It's you remember y'all remember that 2011, 2012 season for obvious reasons, but y'all remember how many more injuries there were than just Rose that year because of that compressed schedule. And it sucks, but I think the WA, NBA is going to going to see the same thing. But yeah, the sky are, the sky are up top of the standings at four and one, and they're there with Seattle. And that's it. The Mystics are playing tonight. So the Mystics or the Lynx are going to go to four and one after tonight. Okay. And the, the Lynx uh, knocked off the uh, the sky uh, last Thursday and they came back and beat Washington, D.C. on uh, on Saturday. So they've been playing, like I say, 
these games have been competitive, but they've been, you know, getting the best of teams toward the end. And, uh, you know, what, what do you think about the way that these games have played out, Chris, so far where, you know, that it's been competitive. They've mostly gone to the end, last possessions, and, you know, they've been tested, the Sky have, but they've been showing their mettle, you know, when it comes to these last uh, these last minutes and these last possessions in these tight games. Uh, coach uh, Wade, James Wade, uh, is a is a coach that demands perfection. He wants the game to go as perfect as possible. Like, don't miss on things. Um, you know, play as best you can. Don't, especially even this season after the loss to Minnesota, I asked him, he's like, everybody's tired. You know, like, we might be tired. This is our third game in, in six days or whatever, but everybody's tired and everybody's going to be tired. So the championship team is the one who has the last bit of energy to push through. But uh, they have been pushed to the edge in a couple of these games. And uh, four out of five of these games have come down to the final minute or the final possession, I think, even. And they've won all but one of them, that game against Minnesota. And they had three shots to win that game. Two, two Courtney Vandersloot tries at the, at the basket. And then they ran an inbounds play that they ran last year where they just basically threw a, a jump pass to Gabby Williams. And, you know, it, you could tell they were tired. You know, no matter what the team uh, says, they just ran out of gas. It wasn't a, a question where they ran out of time in that game. They just ran out of gas. But they've been playing well. They got out to a great start against Dallas the other night, and they kind of brought it home. Uh, Cheyenne Parker from Middle Tennessee, she's in her fifth season, and she's playing like you know, ordinarily mm-hmm. what would be an all-star, you know, given a full season, uh, 18 and 6, I think or a four, uh, probably 15 and six. Azaree Stevens from UConn, she is, she's a basket. She's six, six, can get to her spot just about any time. And it's the way that they're doing it on offense. And now that they've picked things up, I think defensively um, is where they're going to, is where they're going to have to start doing more, but they've been looking good on defense recently too. They deserve the spot. Basically they deserve to be at the top of the standings. The game against the Storm is going to prove a lot, though, because that defense that Seattle has, both at the perimeter with Brianna Stewart and then Natasha Howard down low, is really tough for teams to match up against. Um, Connecticut ran out of ran out of gas in the second half, and they got they got blown out. Um, Los Angeles had a tough time with it. Um, even Minnesota, I think Minnesota was the lone win against Seattle, but. They're a tough matchup on both ends. So that's really going to tell, I think, if the Sky have championship material. Seattle, their next game? No, no. They got um, they got Phoenix on on Thursday night, tomorrow night. And Phoenix has been kind of scuffling, but they've, they've won three straight. But Seattle, they play Seattle next week. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, what was I about to say? Uh, oh, yeah, uh, uh, Chris, uh, Chris uh, above the clouds. Uh, Sky column is available now. We are regalradio.com. Uh, he just wrote a new one the other day, so that's up now to read. And uh, one thing that you mentioned in that was the Azura Stevenson trade uh, that w- that happened over the over the post over the uh, the last po- off season. So she she was originally on Dallas, who who the Sky left last beat uh, on Tuesday. And uh, like you made you made a mention that uh, some people thought that 
because uh, the the sky gave up their rookie from last year was Samuelson. Yeah, Katie Lou Samuelson. And um, what and you know, some people thought that they that might not have been such a good trade, but it's looking like a pretty good trade now. You know, it's funny. I think it's good for both teams. Um, the game against Dallas uh, yesterday night, uh, Lou had two or three threes, and that was that's her calling card. That's been her calling card since she came out of UConn. And uh, Azare was sidelined with a foot injury, but she looks good. I think both players are in better spots for them mentally. I talked to Madeline Kenny at the Sun-Times. James Kay and I did on the Skyhook. And she said it was really a question that Katie Lou thought she was going to be a starter right off the bat. And mm -hmm. she wasn't either. She wasn't quite ready for that or James Wade didn't want her in that situation. That wasn't his, what he had in mind for the pieces that he had or both. So the situation didn't really fit. There were some things with, with her mom late in the season when she wasn't getting playing time. And I was concerned after the trade because I thought, you know, it doesn't make sense to give up on a number four pick that early, no matter how many teams are in the league or, how many picks are in the draft, but I, it, it's, it's worked out. You know, as a Stevens, like I said, she is a bucket and she plays well on, on defense at the other end. She, there's some things that she uh, has to work on with regards to one-on-one uh, -on -one and, and the pick and roll, but around the basket, she plays help side defense well, and she's tough. If somebody has, is, has to go up against her, if they've, if she's between them and the rim, you know, 6'6 six, six is going to do that in that kind of a league. So I think the trades really worked out for the Sky and the Wings. The Wings uh, came close to winning that game yesterday. So they're going to be a team to watch yeah. out for this season. Josh, Drew, what have you guys liked in observing the Sky? I mean, for me. So, uh, Chris, you are about to pick you on all things WNBA, especially with the Sky. Um, in that piece she wrote, I think you may mention that uh, one of the things that have been troubling the team are the turnovers. And I think you also said that um, Coach Wade is one of those coaches that uh, kind of demand perfection. So what, what do you attribute their, their turnovers to? Is it just kind of early season? Trouble? Something bigger? A, a little bit of that. I don't think it's anything that's going to be too worrisome. Their turnover numbers weren't always great last year it's with regards to um, a turnover percentage. And they play a, a, a fast-paced style of game. They like to get out and run. And in the half court, they, they search for the best shot, um, whether that's a three or whether that is kind of a, a, a give-and-go pass going down the lane. And sometimes, you know, they just don't have the – either the, the defensive personnel is in there that's going to tip that pass away or they're trying to force a, a bounce pass through the middle. And that's a lot of it. I think in, he, he said specifically in the game against the Wings, he thought that they had, they had 13 turnovers and he thought they could have been 11. And that would have been their lowest output for the season. So a lot of it is just kind of getting into some kind of rhythm as much as you can when you're playing every other day in, you know, in the same place every, every single time. But they got Sidney Colson back. She's another point guard on the roster. That'll help out. Uh, but some of it is really just players who have more – have more usage, a higher usage rate this year, Kalia Copper and Cheyenne, they're making those passes too. And they're, they're not necessarily as accurate as when Vander Sloot or Gabby Williams is making those passes. So, and that, That's something if you, if you think about the fact that they're still sort of getting into their offense and they're still, like I say, they're utilizing new players and new, 
you know, giving more uses to new some new players or players that they haven't given as much uses to in the past. And, you know, it could be a good sign, basically is what I'm saying, going forward as they get, you know, more in tune with passing to each other and the movement of the offense that they uh, that they want to have underway. So, you know, that this is you can have an even better team as they go into the playoffs and beyond. Definitely. Josh, I, I know you were about to uh, say something there, too. Oh uh, no! I was just gonna say that um, that's always something to expect when you're trying to have a run and gun, fast, fast-paced type of offense, and all those turnovers. Um, like Chris mentioned, even last year, that was one of the biggest things that they had to. That was always an asterisk when it comes to their off their style of play was was the turnovers, just because they're so fast-paced and they go up and down so quickly. But I, but over time, they'll adjust, and once they finally fit, get get into a better rhythm of how the season's going to go. I think they'll be. I think they'll do just fine. But just real quick to emphasize, to emphasize the importance of Azura Stevens, um, Calvin Wetzel from her hoop stats, uh, tagged us in a tweet, and basically it says here are five. Here are the players that are averaging at least ten points, five rebounds, one assist, and one block. There's only five people on that list. There's Sylvia Fowles, Candace Parker, Nafisa Collier, Brianna Stewart, and Azura Stevens. And out of those five. Mm-hmm. Only two of those players are also making more than one three per game, and that's Brianna Stewart and Azura Stevens. So you want to talk about the impact offensively Azura is bringing to the table? I think that's um, we, that shouldn't be overlooked, especially when it comes to the offense that we're talking about. That Chris is mentioning still has a ways to go, even though it's already as high powered and successful as it is now. And the wild thing about that is uh, free throw rate has been a problem for the Sky too. Uh, Last season, they were near the bottom of the league in, in free throws per field goal uh, per game. And this year's the same way. They're, they're 12th. But I asked Coach Wade about that, and he was very – he's very unhappy with the calls that they get or don't get. And Azare Stevens, until the game last night, had only shot one free throw in four games. That's hundred and. 13 minutes that she was on the floor and she had one free throw off of an and one, I think in the, in the game against the sparks. And for a player who gets to the spots that she does, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. She's getting offensive rebounds where players are in a league where players really crash the glass hard. So it didn't make sense that they were only getting, you know, X number of free throws per game. I think they only shot five or six last night. And so I know that that's an area of emphasis for him. And he was very open with it. He's like, I, it's baffling that we don't get these calls. Uh, Cheyenne Parker was was vehement about that also. It's like they, the refs maybe didn't respect the sky in past years because they were kind of a null and void team. But they're looking for those calls this year. But yeah, Azra Stevens is shooting 40% plus from three-point range. And it's so difficult. As much as I harped on how teams don't have to shoot that many threes a moment ago, it's so difficult to guard a team that where everybody can shoot. And the way that the Sky are built, uh, Gabby Williams found her confidence. Uh, the young, um, I think she's, she's in her third season out of, out of UConn. And she was not a confident jump shooter before now. This season, the first game, she took a pass, stepped into a three without hesitation, and drained it. Even in the game against Minnesota, she was 0 for 6 from 3. A lot of those rattled in and out. So she's shooting threes. Uh, Kalia Coppers hit a few on the season. Cheyenne's hit a few on the season. Vandersloot and Quigley are always good for a three or two per game. And with Stevens, a player of her height, 
being able to step out to the line and, and shoot a three, a lot of times you don't have players of, of who are 6'5 and above in the W right now who can defend from the arc to the basket. Brianna Stewart's probably one of, one of, of five. You know, uh, Brittany Griner's really good at that. You know, it's kind of surprising at 6'8 how mobile she is. Uh, going out to the arc and then going back to the basket, it helps to have that frame. But mm. it's it's really surprising how mobile she is on that. So when you have a player like Stevens who can step out there, it's so tough to guard them because if you go inside, either somebody cuts to the basket and she can find them with a pass or she can get a step and go around. So her shooting 47% means that it's going to be so difficult. And when if, if they start getting foul calls – like Kyle said, the offense is really going to take off, and that's from a team averaging 80-plus per game already. Yeah, they have not had trouble scoring. So that's yeah, that's definitely definitely some good uh, developments going on with the Sky, man. And they're fun. They're a fun team to watch. I, I definitely, uh, you know, advise anybody who really loves who, you know, to watch them. You know, they're, they're the only team in Chicago that you can see on free TV now. So even if you ain't got cable, you go see yeah, them on, on uh, 26 the, on the U. And, uh, you know, I would advise you to check them out when they when you get a chance. But 4-1, uh, and one, they're atop the WNBA. And, um, you know, we're going to step step out in a minute here. But before we do, I want to get into this, uh, you know, uh, league-wide thing with the WNBA. They've had, uh, you know, like we've talked about this on past shows. W and, and mentioned earlier in this episode that WNBA does not play when it comes to stepping against people who speak out against social justice, who speak out against black folks. And, uh, you know, that owner down in, in Atlanta, uh, you know, has been vehemently anti-BLM. Uh, Trying to get a name up. You probably know the name off top. Uh, you know, uh, uh, they yeah. asked her in the interview last night with, with Azaree Stevens, and they asked us, like, is there any concerted effort not to mention her name? She's like, no, it's just not <laughs> worth mentioning, so we don't have to mention it either. People yeah. can find out. But just just from a journalistic standpoint, it's Kelly Loeffler, or Loeffler <laughs> uh, a co-owner of Atlanta. And and like you said, and to that point, the WNBA aren't mentioning her name. The players aren't mentioning her name, but they're mentioning her opponent in the U.S. Senate uh, race down in Georgia, and that is a gentleman by the by the name of Raphael Warnock, a reverend, a guy who has uh, a, a long history of uh, of civil rights work and everything. He's he's a guy who who uh, you know definitely you would think against a woman who who said who was saying screw Black Lives Matter. You think that he's going to have the the vote of of black folks down there in Georgia and, uh, you know, progressive folks down there in Georgia. So, you know, the, the WNBA has took it upon themselves to say, look, we don't, we don't want to be involved with this woman. I don't understand why she wants to be involved in the WNBA. She, she's trying in some way to recreate the league into something that it doesn't want to be. She wants it to be some sort of flag saluting patriotic entity and the and the, and the women of the WNBA are saying no, we don't want that, and we don't want you. I really think she should sell her, sell her uh, her stock in, in the dream, and uh, get herself out of that business. Or they they should kick her out of it because she's much like 
uh, you know, Donald Sterling in the way that she she works in a business with people who she has a contempt for. And if you have a contempt for black people and black women, then why are you in the business where you're trying to make money off of them? We don't we we, we can't have stuff like that nowadays. So, you know, gentlemen, I'll give it all to you uh, before we go off. What are your thoughts on this whole situation? And, uh, you know, uh, and definitely kudos again to WNBA. They don't play. And I, I love them for it. And it's one, it's just another reason why we should support the WNBA. It's, it's real cool, man, to have um, a group of people from disparate backgrounds and uh, disparate likenesses coming together and, and accepting each other for who they are, you know, from what I can see for the, for the, like, for the most part or possibly in, in total. And uh, they've been adamant about it, not just from the beginning of this season, but for a while now. Steph Dolson said on media day that there's 80% black women in this league 80% black players in this league. And we, we cannot ignore that. We have to put it at the forefront. Um, and, and so this is just another example of that, you know, Kelly, it's even, even without this, her comments about black lives matter about her, about her, I would say misinformed, but she's informed. So she's really trying to, to uh, speak ill, speak inaccurately about that movement, about the people within it. She's trying to she's trying to divide by saying that she's trying to unite. She's trying to silence by saying she's trying to unite. And so the WNBA players, the Players Association and their executive council made a concerted decision that they were going to support her opponent in this upcoming race. And I, I uh, Sopan Deb posted a tweet. Raphael Warnock's not even the leading Democratic um, candidate in the race. So they specifically picked not somebody who stood a better chance to win at this moment, they picked somebody who aligned with their values. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that you see leagues or, or even, you know, a, a, an association of players or a union do much, if at all of it, at all this, you know, in this day and age, you know, when you're talking about elections, uh, candidates get endorsement from unions, and it's usually for a candidate they think is going to win or at the very least do the best for them. This time this union went out and endorsed, for the, for the latter, really, a, a person who they thought would do the best for them, but not every player in this in this league lives in Atlanta, lives in that area. So they're supporting a candidate that they actually believe in, and that's really telling. Yeah. Now, Chris, you made some good points on that, and I think that's what makes the WNBA so unique is because they are so unified when it comes to getting their agendas across that it makes powerful statements like this. Like, I think this type of statement that they made was one of the most savage um, type of <laughs> type of protest you can do. I mean, to sit there and say, yeah, the leading candidate, yeah, we don't want you. We want the black guy. And the black guy that's not even in the current, you know, lead of the Democratic race right now. That's telling. And at the same time, I just think that we're, I, we always talk about how the, M the WBA when it comes to them being a forefront, the NBA always supports the WNBA. I wonder where the NBA's involvement is going to be now, now that the basically the league just went public and said, we don't want this senator as our owner. So where's the NBA's role going to be within that? That's the next steps that I'm going to look at because they, the, the NBA, obviously, like uh, Chris and Kyle mentioned earlier, they 
they booed Donald Sterling out the, out, out the NBA. They, they gave him the chair and they made him sell his stake so that way they can get a new owner. I wonder if the NBA is going to step in and help aid the WNBA in potentially moving, removing her stake and leaving, and leaving that stake of the ownership up, up to, some, uh, to someone else. So I wonder how that's going to mo- look like moving forward. But if the NBA can do it, I think they should, and I would support them for doing that. Drew, you got something you want to say on this? Uh, yeah, just that, um, you know, it, it was ingenious the way that the WNBA, the players, went about still taking a shot. Uh, how do you pronounce the last name? Loeffler? But without even saying her name. Uh, um, that was dope. And I think it, it lends itself to, I think, what we all mentioned in the past about how out in front the WNBA has been uh, on these issues. Uh, that we're all seem to be kind of catching up now in, in the public light. Um, yeah, man, it's just, just an ingenious move, and this is another, another further evidence of, of what they're doing for the community and for the public at large and for what they believe in. Um, I just think it's odd, man. She sounds like another proponent of the shut up and dribble model. It's crazy. Um, I don't understand why, why people just kind of pigeonhole athletes to only be able to talk about the sport in which they play or other athletes or other sports. We're human beings at the end of the day, man. We have different talents and different things that we all, uh, that all touch us as just on a human level. So I just, I'm, I'm tired of this idea that, you know, athletes cannot speak out about politics or things that are going on in their communities. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and, and you know, I think as far as sticking the sports go, you know, WNBA has long, uh, long left that sort of th- theory behind. And you know, I think like, again, I think this gets to the point of where, you know, you know, you can't you can't look at the people who you who you work with, or even even if they work for you, clearly, you can't look at them as chattel or look at them as some sort of, you know, just some sort of uh, profit base or you know you know some something that you could just make money uh, off of and prosper off of you know we you know we saw that they had to you saw that sterling couldn't get away with that we're looking at a lot of the movements in the in the ncaa now where these players are like look you, you can't put us out here to be potentially exposed to coronavirus we're not getting money for this and stuff you can't put, just do stuff that without us our, our uh our thoughts being uh, acknowledged and our fears and stuff like that. And if you look at the WNBA, they definitely are saying, look, you can't, you can't own a part of our league of a, of a franchise in our league and go against things that we, and, and, and have values that go tend directly against ours. You can't be an op, you know, against our movement. You can't, you can't, uh, you know, just, agitate us like that and think you're going to get away with it. So, you know, definitely all props to, to those women in that league. You know, they, they keep doing what they do. And, you know, beyond just being great athletes, they're great representatives of the community. So, you know, uh, much props to them. Uh, one, one quick okay. thing on that is the circle of, of cats who are going to be able to get away with that is getting a lot smaller, man. Yeah. Like everybody's taking sure. notice of this league now. Lil, I saw Lil Rel 
on Twitter, somebody uh, commented on something. He, I think he was watching the Sky game or, or uh, just another game. And somebody commented on his post, like, oh, it's the biggest attendance they've had. And he's like, corny, my guy blocked. So my guy <laughs> Mola from, from Ignatius and, and King, uh, the people's tweeter, Mola Luther King, whatever, you know, however you know him. He's watching games now. A lot, a lot of people who weren't noticing or weren't paying attention are paying attention now. So that circle of ignorance is going to get a lot smaller. It's going to keep shrinking. And so Leffler's just she's probably the, 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 the custer of this whole thing. She's yeah. going to be one of the last people on the boat real soon. Yeah. yeah just, say, real quickly, just to piggyback off of what Chris just said, I think it's also, we just, we, we want them to keep that. We want people that are tuning in now with the sky to keep that same energy when, when these arenas open back up, don't just watch these games. You got to come and put your money where your mouth is and attend these games. That's that's where your that's where the real support is. I mean, when Chris and I covered the sky last year, it was it was fun. It was a blast to sit here and talk to those coaches and talk to the players. They're 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 super cool humans, just like just like covering NBA games and all the other athletes that you want to pay, put your money into. So put your money into the women's sports too. Put them to the sky and let's keep that same energy so that past and the post coronavirus uh, era, whether it's a new norm or not, if they're allowing fans to come to these games, we should put our money where our mouth is and support them as well. Yeah, well said, Josh. It, you know, the television ratings are meaningful, definitely, and we want to see those keep up. But like you said, go go out to the arenas too when the when the time comes and you can do that again. You know, bring your daughters, bring your families out there. They're great. They've long prided themselves of being good family uh, op, no, offerings, you know, when it comes to entertainment. So, you know, there's no reason not to support the WNBA, really. So, you know, and, and speaking of support NBA, WNBA, we're going to look to have – uh, Chris and, and his man James from the Skyhook Podcast on with us uh, maybe as early as next week. So we'll see about that. Uh, but for now, though, we're going to wrap up this session. Thank you guys once again. Uh, follow all up, all us on uh, weareregalradio.com. We are Regal, Ra Regal Radio, War Media, wherever you see that, you'll see us. And, um, yeah, that's pretty much it for now. I know Chris got to run, so we're going to wrap it up quicker than usual. But, uh, yeah, that's it, though. We'll be back next week. You, you won't have to wait long for us and uh, listen to all our past stuff. If you if you haven't uh, listened yet, don't sleep, man. We out here, man. This is uh, the, the running season, man, and we, and we just getting our breath up, man. We ain't, we ain't, uh, we ain't, we ain't tired yet. We ain't, we still in our first win, man. We ain't even, we ain't thinking about no second win yet, man. We running out here, man. All right, we out here, man. Keep bouncing, and uh, we'll see y'all next week.